From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbett. I, I don't know. I was thinking driving in this morning. You know, maybe we talk about the first week of the legislative session. What do you think? Sounds like a deal. You want to start with uh, Monday, the State of the State Address, Governor Brad Little setting the tone for the 2020 legislative session. Best place to start. We'll just go chronologically. It was a busy first week, as the first week of the session usually is. And as is usually the case, it's the governor setting the tone and laying out his budget proposals. Some interesting stuff. Yeah, I had a great seat for State of the State. I was on the floor of the House Chambers, just a couple feet from the governor. And he kind of teased it out the Friday before. That's where we left off last podcast. Uh, But he did prioritize education issues, not necessarily 100% in the way everyone was expecting. But it's a tight budget year. That came through loud and clear during the state of the state speech and the budget presentation. Uh, But within that tight budget year, the governor did uh, back up his pledge to prioritize education. And the biggest priority that he is looking at uh, for the upcoming year in terms of new spending is going to be increasing teacher pay, Mm -hmm. specifically, Kevin, for the veteran teachers, uh, which we had talked about. That had been a theme, but uh, Governor Little called for increasing education spending uh, by just over 4%, 4.1% from the current budget year. It's about $77.7 million. And the bulk of that, like I said, $30 million would go to increasing pay uh, for Idaho's veteran teachers. There's another $7.7 million uh, for the second year's effort to raise the beginning minimum teacher salary. Right, to so get to the $40,000 minimum. To get to the $40,000 minimum. So altogether... Uh, $37.7 million to increase teacher pay. That's the biggest priority uh, that the governor that the governor set aside. And really, once you get past that, once you get past the $37 million in teacher pay raises, the rest of this budget's pretty much just covering growth and uh, covering enrollment increases. I mean, that's pretty much uh, a maintenance budget once you get past that. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been to a couple of the Revenue Outlook uh, Committee meetings, and they've talked about taking a conservative approach this year. Maybe state government revenues will slow down a little bit, even if they continue to grow. They think a recession is unlikely, but uh, but the governor wanted to prepare for uncertain financial times, saying that we may be at the end of our economic cycle, the sustained growth can't continue. And so a big part of his budget is increasing the rainy day fund and leaving a positive cash balance at the end of the next two years. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean... He's talking about putting $102 million of, of additional money into the rainy day accounts, including $30 million in, into the account that's just earmarked for public education. This is going to be interesting to watch. Idaho has almost $400 million in its, you know, in its bread and butter budget stabilization account. And by state law, they can't put more money into that uh, account. You have to change the law and increase the cap to put more money into the bank. And that's exactly what Governor Little wants to do. He wants to put more money in. He's going to pursue legislation to to carry out that very purpose. This is a very frugal budget. You know, you look at the raw numbers for K-12, a 4% increase, a $77 million increase. We've had this string for the past several years of $100 million or more in increases in, in public education that is almost certainly going to come to an end this legislative session. And wow, you look at the budget for higher education, it is even tighter. He's talking about a 0.4% increase in the general fund 
for higher education. It's coupled with the budget cuts in higher education, coupled the with the tuition freeze, freeze that the president's uh, unilaterally announced in December, it is a really tight budget for higher education. So, you know, we'll get a, a sense in a couple of weeks when the, the presidents uh, come before the legislature right. and come before JFAC and make their budget presentations of what, what sort of impact this budget might have. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I think that, that uh, that's interesting. But all those things sort of jumped out at me. But let's just add a little context. Uh, the task force recommendations. Uh, those were delivered in November. There were five recommendations. The governor really prioritized two of them, uh, touched on a third, and it, and we knew all along uh, that the five recommendations were going to be part of like a multi-year plan, that they mm -hmm. weren't going to do everything all in one year. Even the $30 million for teacher salaries he is called an down installment yep. of a multi-year plan. So the, the, the recommendations that I saw the governor prioritize were obviously the recommendation to increase teacher pay for veteran teachers. That's real clear. Uh, the second was the social-emotional learning uh, recommendation that the task force issued, and that dealt with increasing resources and training to support students who may be facing mental illness or, or trauma issues. That was a second task force recommendation. And then you can say that on the literacy front, uh, the governor is taking a small amount of money to, um, to basically make the funding commitment last year ongoing for the literacy. It's not increasing the overall funding, but he needed to put some new dollars in there uh, to keep that going at the same speed as last mm -hmm. year. The line, I think, in the State of the State address was keeping his foot on the gas right. on literacy. Uh, so you can say they addressed those three. Two that I have not yet seen addressed are the all-day kindergarten piece. Obviously, right. there's not funding uh, in the budget specifically for that, although we have seen districts, of course, using the overall literacy initiative dollars, the $26 million to launch all-day kindergarten across the state. But that's sort of their own choice. That's right. their own decision. Uh, and not everybody did that. Not everybody did it the same way. Not everybody did it for free um, either. And so that one uh, isn't really addressed this year. And, um, and But then and that reflects a conscious choice by the governor. I mean, you have these task force recommendations, and we, we talked about them for weeks, the, the kind of the two big ticket mm -hmm. recommendations, the all-day kindergarten recommendation and the teacher salary recommendation. Consciously making the decision to invest this time around in the first year of teacher pay raises and setting aside the all-day kindergarten expansion that was also recommended by the task force. And the governor's take on this is we still are putting money into literacy. Mm -hmm. And yes. the districts are using that literacy money in many cases uh, to provide all-day kindergarten. I mean, all-day kindergarten is still a, a topic that's near and dear to the governor's heart. He mentioned it uh, in the State of the State address. He cited a couple of success stories, uh, schools that have seen improvements in reading scores, partly because of all-day kindergarten. But, you know, I, yeah, and I think he's also aware, though, and, you know, it's worth noting, thinking about this thing down the road, it's not universal, and it's kind of a patchwork. Right. You know, West Ada doesn't have room to provide all-day kindergarten for all of its kids because they've got too many kids, and yep. they don't have enough rooms for them. And, and then you have the Boise district here that has all-day kindergarten, but it's tuition-based. So it's really parents having to decide whether it's worth their money and you know whether they you know have the money to, to spare to put their kid into all-day kindergarten. So it, it is kind of a patchwork. That's probably not going to change all that much with this budget. But, you know, 
I think he really is viewing the, the teacher pay issue as something that he wants to get ahead of, put the first installment in, try to maybe take some of the pressure off of school districts so they're not having to use as much uh, money, uh, supplemental levy yep. money, to, to backfill budgets. So we'll see how that thing plays he, out. He made a strong push for it in the State of the State Address. He talked about how we cannot any longer rely on the good hearts of our teachers uh, to have a, a, a strong, and I'm going to paraphrase here at the end, but to have a strong, uh, valuable teaching core. Uh, that we have to pay them. We have to pay them a competitive wage. And the, of the fifth task force recommendation, it slipped my mind just for a second earlier, it was accountability. And it was accountability around the K-3 IRI literacy scores. Haven't really seen too much about that. Potentially a bill could be coming this session or potentially the State Board of Education uh, will look at that. Or it may be for another day, yet to be seen. Um, but clear movement Clear prioritization of two recommendations from the way I look at things. Action on a third, uh, to use the governor's phrase, to keep his foot on the gas on the literacy initiative. And and um, and, and, and those were the priorities. And That's kind of about all, all there is in this budget. It is a very well, much a stay-the-course budget from the education. From the education perspective, there's yeah. correction and there's uh, health and welfare and there's some other things in there that certainly affect the budget, but we don't, we don't cover them closely. Um, and it's a $4 billion state budget, and about half of it uh, goes to K-12 public education. Right. And looking at the big picture of the budget, as you just pointed out, a 4% proposed increase for public schools, but a 12% proposed increase for corrections. Uh, that was one of the cornerstones of this budget for, from the governor, when you look yeah. at the big picture of it. Uh, governor Little wants to make a, a big investment in, you know, reforming the way we spend money in prisons, trying to do more in terms of rehabilitation, more in terms of support uh, to make sure that, you know, prisoners don't reoffend, that, you know, prisoners who are on, on parole successfully complete parole and successfully go back into the communities. You know, he's wanting to invest now so that the ultimate bill for corrections is, uh, isn't as big down the road. Yeah. But it was very jarring to see yeah. uh, two budget line items where you're talking about a 4% increase for public schools, a 12% increase for corrections. Obviously, this is not something a governor wants to make a habit out of. This is not the way you want to uh, want to spend money long term. But he is trying to uh, make a big push here on, on corrections. Sentencing reform fits into that. But it makes the budget that much leaner for K-12 and higher ed because, you know, there's only so much money to go around, especially when Trump puts so much more of it into the bank. Yeah. Real quick, just to get into some of the reactions to the State of the State address, I was hanging out uh, at the Capitol on Monday, had a chance to talk to a bunch of folks. It seemed like it was generally really well received. Um, the legislature and the Idaho Freedom Foundation gave him credit uh, to a large extent for putting forth a conservative budget. I went to the minority press conference from the Idaho Democrats. Uh, they seemed uh, like they would have liked more, but they seemed happy with, with some of the things that the governor proposed, expressed a willingness to work with him, expressed a willingness to work on legislation on other issues that maybe he didn't address, but generally positive reaction. Superintendent of Public Instruction, Sherry Ybarra, I spoke with her immediately after the speech. She was really uh, excited about it. And Superintendent Ybarra, her budget priorities are similar to the governor. She would also prioritize raises for veteran teachers. Uh, but Superintendent Ibarra is actually asking for a larger budget increase and bigger pay raises for right. the veteran teachers. $40 million for veteran teachers Correct. as opposed to the 30 that, that Governor Little Correct. proposed. But 
You're right. And, and as I was looking at the reactions on Monday and as I was, I was writing um, my piece off of the, the budget and, and off of the state of the state, pretty positive marks for the yeah. uh, proposal to increase teacher pay. And that seemed to go across party lines. So that would seem to uh, you know, augur well for the prospects that that's going to get through the legislature this year, but uh, still a long way to go, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. But um it was interesting. I met with the governor. He spoke to reporters after the address, and I kind of walked in at the same time as him. And I think the governor and his staff were very pleased uh, with the speech and how it was received. He had good body language. He was joking around, clearly in a good mood. There was a really cool moment, actually, from the State of the State speech itself, where Governor Little recognized the 2020 Idaho Teacher of the Year, Stacy Lawler, who he actually invited to attend the speech, and she was there. Uh, in the gallery above the House Chambers. A really cool moment. And the legislature actually gave uh, the teacher, Stacey Lawler, a standing ovation for 21 seconds. I went back to the tape and, and timed it. But you could just see Governor Little's face light up, uh, positively beaming when he introduced her. And he was in a good mood all day. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think his staff was pleased uh, with the, the speech and the budget proposal and how it was received. And so I think the governor is happy with it. I think... His staff is happy with it. I think several legislators view this as, you know, maybe not the exact blueprint they'll follow this year, but in terms of setting the tone from the beginning, they seemed open to working uh, within these parameters and open to working with the governor. And, and they thanked him for curbing spending, for setting money aside, for having some money perhaps for tax relief to perhaps address the grocery tax repeal. Uh, but there's a lot going on, like you right. said. And, um, and a lot of things to watch for as this legislative session unfolds, especially on the spending side, on the budget side, as you mentioned, uh, Governor Little, earmarking $35 million for grocery tax relief. This doesn't come from the general fund. Right. It comes from a side fund that is that that is paid for off of the new sales tax on internet, uh, internet purchases. Correct. So it's not general fund money. It doesn't really affect uh, K-12 or higher education. But if you really wanted to repeal the grocery tax, you would need a lot more than $35 million. The, the going estimate is $80 million or more. And if you did that, you would almost certainly be affecting the general fund and the amount of money available for education. So it'll be interesting and important to watch to see, is there tension, is there disagreement between the governor and the legislature over how far you go with grocery tax uh, Relief, or do you do property tax instead of grocery tax? Which or we do you heard try to do both? And there's a lot of about. sentiment about property tax relief as well. Um, Governor Little didn't say a whole lot in terms of concrete uh, recommendations on either the grocery tax or the property tax. He did mention property taxes with regard to supplemental levies, Correct. school supplemental levies, and made the case for his line item on teacher salaries as a way to alleviate some of that pressure. Uh, on local school districts and, and supplemental levies. So a lot to chew on from Monday and, and then the budget and the state of the state. And that was only the beginning of the week because uh, one yeah. day later, uh, House Education got down to business and you know, kind of threw down the gauntlet a bit. Yeah, this this session is, is picking up quickly. Uh, and we'll get into why that is. But traditionally, uh, the last several sessions that we've covered, State of the State's a big day. That's the first day of the session. And then maybe things slow down for a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's not the not case really. no. this year. House Ed, like you said, wasted no time getting into the debate over administrative rules. And this is going to lead to a showdown 
over academic standards, over common core standards that's actually going to start next week. And mm-hmm. it could it has potentially be pretty divisive. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to go, but it, it's basically a mess that the 2019 legislature created. And we're right back dealing with rules again at the start of this session. It's a, it's a complicated process, but the legislature basically did not take the traditional step of reauthorizing all the administrative rules at the end of last session. They walked away, prepared to let them all expire. Uh, that put the ball in Governor Brad Little's court over the summer. He trimmed thousands of pages of rules, reauthorized all the rest on a temporary basis, which means they go right back before the legislature But interestingly, and perhaps unprecedentedly, the way this is playing out opens the door for legislators to review all rules that have ever been put on the books, not just the new rules developed over the interim, which is the traditional session. And so that means they're going to take a look at what they call common core standards, but it's our Idaho content standards and English language arts and math. And they're going to take a look at the science standards. And if this all sounds familiar, it's because it is. Right. Um, academic standards came to Idaho in the form of administrative rule. And after a long, divisive three-year debate, the legislature just adopted science standards mm. in 2018 right. after, fighting about, yeah. after fighting about language, after fighting about language that dealt with the age and history and creation of the universe, as well as human impact on global warming and fossil fuels production. Divisive three-year battle... It's going to start again next week. Right. And the long and the short of it, uh, going back to the debate we saw two years ago, uh, real tension, real friction between the House and Senate Education Committees. Yes, it's a power struggle. It it, it definitely is. And what what happened in 2018 was the, the, the House Education Committee wanted to delete sections of the science standards, the references to the climate change that you, that you alluded to. Senate Education didn't go along with that. They adopted the science standards in full, without any deletions, without any editing. And the way the rules process works right now, if one committee approves the rules intact, that overrides any changes, any deletions, any rejection that takes place in the other chamber. So basically, Senate Education got exactly what it wanted two years ago. House education has not forgotten that. Right. I mean, there's still some hard feelings between lawmakers about how that uh, how that went down. So House education wanting to take another run at the science standards. It's hard to envision the outcome being any different in Senate education. Yeah, even if House education takes another uh, takes another vote rejecting some of these uh, some of these standards. It's hard to me. It's hard for me to envision that Senate education is going to change its mind. It's a lot of the same folks who were there two years ago. I, you know, minds may change. You know, there may be a different sentiment there, but um, I'd be surprised. I'd be surprised to see House education not try to delete science standards or some of the language from science standards. I would be surprised if House education left Common Core intact. But I'd be Equally surprised if Senate education uh, made a change on science standards. Common Core, we're going back a few years. Don't really know where Senate education members might be, but I don't know if it even comes to, we don't even know if it would come to a vote in the Senate. We, yeah. we just don't know. And you have to operate under the assumption that the House Education Committee is deadly serious about this. And we saw it on Tuesday. Uh, they were having the overview of the rules review process right off the bat. One of the very first questions from Representative Dorothy Moon, she said, just for conversation's sake, 
Hypothetically speaking, if we wanted to repeal Common Core in its entirety, how would we do that? Just for the heck of it, let's talk about, well... <laughs> she she asked Administrative Rules Coordinator Dennis Stevenson how to do that, and he told her how to do that. And so I, I think you have to operate under the assumption that the House Education Committee is going to take a real serious effort to repeal Common Core in its entirety, both in English and math. And that really, like you said... Um, puts it, it sets up a potential showdown with the Senate. The Senate doesn't even have to hold a hearing on it. And if the Senate does not hold a hearing on it, uh, the, the standards will remain. Okay. Uh, it takes both houses to concur on this kind of action. And so if, if the House Education Committee repeals Common Core or repeals a portion of Common Core, but the Senate does not go along with it, uh, the academic standards remain in place. However... Okay. If House Education repeals some or all of the standards and the Senate concurs and takes the same action, Idaho would be without any academic standards. And that could get really interesting, and I think we'll hear more about the potential scenarios next week. And what we did hear from Senate Education on Wednesday, Senate Ed only had one meeting this week. I mean, House Ed has been going on you know, full bore yeah. uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You've been busy over there. Senate Ed had one meeting. It was Wednesday afternoon. Uh, talked a little bit about the process of how how the committee is going to treat rules and and Steve Thane Stephen Thane the um, vice chairman of the committee who who handles the rules uh, process for Senate Education said that Senate Ed will hold some hearings on new rules because there are a handful of yep. new rules that the uh, State amount. Department of yep. Ed and State Board of Education are proposing. They'll hold hearings, they'll discuss them, they'll take testimony, they won't take any votes on the new rules because they want to wait and see what happens with the omnibus rule, which, which is the big rule which contains all of this stuff that we're talking about. And what Thane said was, well, we understand that the House wants to have some discussions about the omnibus rule, we'll let them get, you know, we'll let them do that and then we will start to vote. You know, read into that, well, what I read into it is that Senate education is just going to wait out the house here a little bit. Uh, I did not sense a compelling appetite in, in that committee to take a hard look at Common Core or uh, science standards or, or or anything much in the omnibus rule. You know, if Senate education isn't that interested in dealing with the rules process, it may not matter all that much what happens in, in the House Education Committee. I spoke to House Speaker Scott Betke about this too for for a piece that I posted on Thursday. And his take on it is that he's got members uh, of the House who feel like they were never heard on Common Core, who feel like they want to have a say on Common Core. And I think his druthers would be that the House and Senate education committees would have joint hearings on some of these issues, and then they would vote separately as, as they normally do. The, the, the takeaway that I had talking to Speaker Badke is that I think he realizes deep down that it's unlikely that you're going to see changes in Common Core. It's unlikely that you're going to see changes in science standards. He didn't outright say that, but he said, you know, he's got members who want to have a hearing, who want to have their say on this, who want, want to take another look at it, and that there's value in that process, even if the outcome ultimately is, is no different than what we have on the books right now. So it's all going to take a while. And that was uh, kind of my... Uh, my takeaway, the analysis piece that I wrote on Thursday is, you know, this is going to consume the first month of the legislative session, yeah. if not more. Yeah, I, I've got the schedule uh, for next week. The House Education yeah. Committee traditionally meets at 9 a.m. 
in the basement of the State House. Uh, the actual agendas had yet to be posted uh, as of when I started recording this podcast, but Tuesday morning, uh, we do know they're going to look at English language arts standards. The when, Common Core English yeah, standards. Yeah, uh, Wednesday morning, uh, math standards. Chicken Thursday common. morning, science standards. And I don't know if they will be able to do all that they want to do uh, in those three days' worth of hearings. And here's why I say that. The House Education Committee already spent two days this week debating at length a rule uh, that this, everybody in the state government wants to expire uh, that has to do with enrollment reporting. And so they spent two days dealing with a rule that is targeted for expiration at the end of this legislative session. And, and that has to do with the funding formula and this debate over uh, whether we move from attendance to enrollment. And so it is important and it's part of a larger overall debate rather than just limited to one rule that's going to expire. But if they spent two days on that and they're not done with that, I don't know how they can have, say, a common core hearing on English standards, anticipating significant public interest and public testimony in just a couple of hours on Monday. Right, because you've got folks mobilizing on both sides of the common core debate. I mean, the, you mentioned the Freedom Foundation. This is a big issue mm-hmm. for that group. Uh, th- this is, uh, you know, one of their priorities this legislative session. But by the same token, you have the Idaho School Boards Association saying that their top priority is to keep the Common Core standards in place. So you, I would expect to see trustees uh, at these uh, at these hearings, teachers, teachers, you know, parents, as well as, you know, and, school and parents, board members, you know, and folks on both sides of the issue. And if you're going to give everybody, you know, three minutes apiece to talk, it's going to take a while. Yeah. And like you said, driving the length of the session, uh, House Education Committee Chairman Lance Clow said that he was instructed, and you have to assume instructed by leadership, uh, to not really let his committee introduce and debate new bills until they have this rules process well in hand. So if we spend a week on Common Core and looking at other rules and enrollment versus attendance rules, I mean, it could well be the first month of the session, and that could drive the length of the session, potentially extend it beyond the ambitious, short and sweet schedule that legislative leadership sort of put out there, uh, I want to say in early December. Yeah, so bet the over on the uh, March 20th adjournment date and uh, bring snacks because it's going to take a while. But I'll be there. Uh, both of us will be there yes. at the State House next week following these Common Core hearings. We'll have daily coverage. Uh, we'll let you know how you can testify. We'll let you know on Monday night what the schedule is going to be for sure on Tuesday. We'll be there every day. Uh, we'll keep a track of how many folks are testifying, uh, how, the, how the committee handles it, what the prevailing wisdom is, if there's any disagreements along the way. Uh, but we'll be there each day for full coverage. And, uh, and then the next week's Education Week. So yeah. it's, it's not like we're not easing into the session by any means. There's not this, you know, Monday was nice. Everybody was in a good mood. Speaker Bedke kind of gave this joking quote on the floor about how at the beginning of the session, everybody's on their best behavior, but I promise you it will get worse. Uh, but we're really getting right into it uh, right now here, just fifth day of the session, looking ahead to next week. <laughs> Nothing to try the patience of legislators than a good fight over administrative rules, and, and we've got one looming. So it's uh, it, it, we're off and running at this legislative session. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a couple more things that I want to get to this week. I know you spent some time with the university presidents. Do you want to talk about that now, or are there other things you want to cover before uh, we get to that? Let's talk a little bit about the university presidents, uh, what we heard from them on yeah. Thursday, and what we'll uh, hear from them in the next couple of weeks. Interesting uh, 
Interesting event uh, sponsored by the Boise Metro Chamber of Commerce on Thursday. The four presidents of the, uh, the state's four-year institutions, Boise State, University of Idaho, Idaho State University, and uh, Lewis Clark State College, all on the same stage talking about the future of higher education. And it was interesting to hear what they said and what they didn't talk as much about. They, they talked a lot about some of the, the challenges facing uh, higher education, whether it's uh, retention, you know, getting students through uh, with a degree, um, talking about some of the challenges of trying to recruit students onto campuses and competing to attract uh, new students, um, talking a little bit about one line item that Governor Little did propose for higher education in kind of an otherwise flat budget for higher ed, this uh, joint project, this joint program in cybersecurity. Uh, Marlene Trump, the Boise State University president, touted that and said, you know, this could be a good opportunity to become a national leader in, in cybersecurity and create a lot of new jobs, clean industry in rural Idaho. Um, yeah, they didn't talk as much about the budget realities that are facing the higher education system, and they are they are severe. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you have the budget cuts that Governor Little has imposed across most of state government, that's affecting higher education. Right. They were not spared from those cuts. And it goes a lot deeper. You know, ISU has been facing some financial issues that uh, new President Kevin Satterley inherited when he took the job last year. The University of Idaho has uh, you know, a $14 million shortfall that they are trying to patch up this year. Uh, Scott Green, the new president up there, is saying, we want to have a balanced budget. We cannot continue to have um, you know, structurally unsound budgets that we're using reserves to, to fill in. They didn't talk as much about the budget realities. They did talk a little bit about the tuition freeze. And as I mentioned in my story on Thursday, the biggest round of applause um, on Thursday was for the tuition freeze. Uh, you know, and and kind of, that makes sense. I who, who can argue against a tuition freeze? Who can argue against making... Uh, making it a little bit easier for, for parents and students to to pay their tuition bills. Well, kind of, college affordability was one of the big issues you tracked in your recent higher education oh, yeah. series. It, we know it's a problem. We know it's a challenge. We know even though Idaho's tuition bills are among the lowest in the nation, that doesn't matter so much if you have students and their parents looking at that bill and saying, we can't afford it. Right. You know, national rankings only you know go so far. We're also a low-wage state. We're also a low-wage state. So... And we don't have as much in terms of endowments. We don't have as much in terms of financial aid that, that we offer. Now, to their credit, the legislature continues to put more money into the Opportunity Scholarship. Correct. Um, Governor Little wants to make some of that Opportunity Scholarship money permanent as opposed to one time. Uh, that was one of his proposals. It's a $7 million dollar line item. Uh, $7 million. To make it ongoing. And, and you need to do that uh, if you're hoping to provide that money down the road, if you're trying to help students through four years of college as opposed to just giving them uh, money to get in the door. So, yep. you know, I was interested in what we heard from the presidents and what we didn't hear from the presidents. And I'm looking forward now to a couple of things coming up you know, during education week that we alluded to. I'm going to be at JFAC listening to the presidents as they make their budget presentations. I'm also going to have the chance to talk to all four presidents uh, for a, a program that I'm doing with Idaho Public Television, a look at education, uh, the future of education in the state. We'll have all four presidents on the uh, on set with us. Uh, we'll have a chance to ask them a little bit more about where we're going and how can we afford to get there.
Yep, absolutely. So. Uh, we'll look forward to that. Um, you're going to play a little bit different role this legislative session. Your your full time day job is still uh, Idaho Education News right, and, and right. covering the legislature. But you had an interesting blog this week talking about some of the partnerships, and and you're kind of spreading your wings and, and and taking on a little bit bigger role with some some of our friends. What are you going to be doing this year? And and, and, and how is it going to enhance our coverage of education? Because it will. Yes. Well, I'm negotiating with Idaho Public Television to at least get a tote back. Yeah. No, no, actually, yeah, they, they've been very generous with, with, you know, with giving me the opportunity to do this. And, and you know, they've been great to work with. I'm going to do a little bit more uh, in terms of interviews and in terms of panel discussions during this legislative session. Our, our friend Melissa Davlin is uh, having a baby and she's on maternity leave as of right now. Baby is, you know... Baby could be listening to this podcast before uh, before the week is out. Who knows? But in in her in her stead, uh, I'm going to be doing some interviews with uh, lawmakers and and state leaders. Betsy Russell from the Idaho Press is going to be doing interviews. We're going to be doing a little bit more of the segments uh, as Gemma Gaudet from I, from Boise State Public Radio takes over the anchor responsibilities. One of those interviews was today, uh, yep. Friday. I had a chance to sit down with Governor Little talking about the state of the state, talking about uh, some of his comments last week at the Associated Press Legislative Preview, and, and trying to take a step back. It was an interesting interview, uh, talking about his, his vision for the future of the state, his vision about the economy of the state, the growth issues that we're facing, the concerns about a possible recession, the concerns about a downturn. So we were able to kind of peel back from the news of the week to try to put it into some context. That interview will air on Friday night on public television at 8.30 uh, Boise time. And then after it airs, it will be available on uh, the website at IdahoPTV.org. Idaho yep. And what I'm going to try to do a better job with, because as you mentioned, I'm going to be doing more with uh, public TV, uh, still working with Channel 6 uh, in the Treasure Valley and Boise State Public Radio, is to try to Put all of these, uh, put all of these features, all of these links uh, onto my blog so that you can find them there as well. But it, it is all about trying to tell this story of the session in a different way and, and to enhance our coverage. Because you know what I get to hear when I sit down to talk to Governor Little for public television is stuff that's going to inform uh, our coverage here at IdahoEdNews.org. So it's been a it's a good opportunity. It's going to keep us busy. It's going to um, be a little bit more of a juggle, but I'm really excited about it. I, I love how you decided that you were not going to be busy enough as it is with the 2020 legislature. Right, right. We so just needed to take, to take on more. So kudos well, to you. I'm not having a baby or anything. <laughs> no, I, I mean, <laughs> Melissa's got a lot harder uh, job there uh, as she goes on maternity leave. But no, it's it's a yeah, it's kind of the state of media right now. Is that uh, we're all. Uh, we're all working together a lot more than we used to. There's a lot, fewer a lot of us. more. There are fewer of us. Uh, it just makes a lot more sense to pool resources to to, you know, it, to collaborate as much as possible. And you know, it's fun. I mean, I get to work with smart people here <laughs> on the day job, and I get to work with smart people uh, in these collaborative roles. It, it's just it makes for better journalism all around. Yeah, and just to be really clear, nothing. Yeah, you know, I give you a little bit of a hard time there. Nothing is changing with Idaho Ed News. No, you know, we're still, still our senior reporter. Nothing is changing with this podcast. As long as I can get uh, some of our technical problems figured out, nothing will change. Uh, with this podcast or with either of our roles, you're just going to be doing more of what you are already doing uh, for more folks. And, and one thing I am doing 
uh, new on our website is each Thursday I'm going to do an analysis piece. I'm going to try to step back from the daily events and, and try to put uh, what we're seeing at the State House, what we're seeing in education policy into a, a little bit deeper context. I wrote a piece on Thursday looking at the rules process because it is easy for me to get caught in the weeds. It is easy for me to get caught up in the daily uh, daily grind of this coverage. Uh, what, what we'll try to do with those pieces is you know, connect the dots a little bit more and, and help help readers understand the bigger picture. And if the rules process isn't getting into the weeds, I don't know what is. It's born in the weeds. <laughs> yes, it, it's, it is not. It is rooted in the weeds. So there's not much you can do about that, but we can certainly try to uh, put it into context, which is what I guess we'll be spending a good chunk of next week doing. Yeah, what a big week. week. What a big week. If you missed anything, head to the homepage, IdahoEdNews.org. Multiple stories from the state of the state address, multiple stories looking at this rules review process, multiple stories looking at the looming Common Core showdown. So follow that. If you're on Twitter, give us a follow at IdahoEdNews. Uh, we post links to all our big stories, live tweets, some of the big meetings there. Next week, you're going to want to follow us closely. Uh, we are going to be at those Common Core hearings every single day. I'm going to be following all the other developments from the legislative session. I'm going to be announcing a little bit of a 2020 project next week, maybe on Wednesday or Thursday, taking a little bit closer look about how I can share some information about what our governor, what our state superintendent, and what our state board of education president are up to over this next year. You can look for that on Wednesday or Thursday. We'll roll that out throughout the year, and we'll be there all throughout this legislative session the next 80 days plus, however long it may take. Uh, who knows? Uh, we're not buying plane tickets in March or early April, so we'll be here for the duration. As long as they're having fun over there, we'll be having fun over there too. Yeah, it's it, and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I mean, really, it's gonna be a grind. Sessions always are, but you know, as kind of a student of public policy, it is fun to watch because you never really know exactly how these sessions are gonna play out. If that isn't a great place to end, I don't know what is because no truer words have ever been spoken. Uh, But thanks so much for joining us on the Extra Credit Podcast and for following our coverage. As you can tell, we always have a lot of fun on the Extra Credit Podcast, breaking down this ever-complicated and sometimes controversial intersection, education policy, education politics. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.